And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December the 20th. 354th day of the year. 11 days remain till the year's over with. Christmas is Sunday. Well, on this day in 1192, Richard I of England is captured and imprisoned by Leopold V of Austria on his way home to England after the Third Crusade. 1924, on this date, Adolf Hitler is released from Landsberg Prison, where he was locked up for treason. 1941, World War II, first battle with the American Volunteer Group, known as the Flying Tigers, uh, in uh, Kunming, China. Then in 1942, on this date, Japanese Air Forces bombed Calcutta, India. And it's the... Yesterday was the first day of Hanukkah, for those who celebrate that. You know, when you're looking at all the death and destruction in in history, and there have been a lot of wars, and a lot of rumors of wars, it's always nice to have something to take your mind off of all that death and destruction. That and the urging of my liberal wife was the reason I started uh, writing books. I've now got uh, 60 published and I think 80 some odd written. Um, worked out a deal with Amazon. They're going to start carrying my uh, e-books. In addition to haunted hotels in the various places I talked about over the last few days, I wrote about haunted hotels in Arizona and Colorado. You know, one place in Arizona that I found interesting is a place called Alpine, named for its altitude, located in Apache uh, County in the eastern part of the state. It's at the eastern end of the White Mountains in the Apache Greaves National Forest. Um... Former and merged names include Bush Valley and Frisco. You know, one of the better-known haunted hotels is Hannigan Meadow Lodge. Hannigan Meadow Recreation Area is located in the White Mountains of eastern Arizona, U.S. 191, which is uh, the Coronado Highway. It's one of the most remote, unspoiled, and peaceful places in the state. And that's saying something. The profound... Quietness is broken only by the occasional car on the road or the, the occasional songbird tuning up for a day of singing. There's civilizations, the hamlet of Alpine, 22 miles to the north. At 9,100-foot elevation, Hannigan Meadows offers cool summer weather and snow in the winter. Tell me about it. Opportunities are excellent for summer hiking and winter cross-country skiing. Trailhead access to the Blue Range Primitive Area, one of America's most remote and unspoiled wildernesses. Since 1926, the historic Hannigan Meadow Lodge has provided rustic comfort in this beautiful remote corner of Arizona's White Mountains. 
It's got bed and breakfast rooms in its main building, as well as ten rustic log cabins on the adjacent hillside. Rooms and cabins are well kept with high-quality furnishings and authentic early American style. And those that stay there just might see the Lady of the Lodge. This ghostly occupant's been seen many times by those locking up for the night. As they lock the door and walk away, if they look back, many times they'll see a light burning in the second floor hallway and a young woman in a white party dress will be seen standing in the second floor window. Of course, since there's no floor beneath that second floor window, anybody see, uh, seen looking out uh, not to be hovering in midair. But this didn't stop the Lady of the Lodge. Many nights when staff members work late, the sound of Mysterious footsteps are heard walking to the window where the lady's most often seen. So now, if you do manage to get a glimpse of her, try to take a picture with the uh, advent of cell phones. Certainly, everybody's got a camera to hand. Then Bisbee, a place I've enjoyed many times, located 90 miles southeast of Tucson and nestled among the Mule Mountains, is the uh, county seat of Cochise County. Communities founded 1880 and named after Judge DeWitt Bisbee, a financial backer of the Copper Queen Mine. What's known as the Queen of the Copper Camps, this uh, Old West mining camp uh, proved to be one of the richest mineral sites in the world. Produced nearly 3 million ounces of gold, more than 8 billion pounds of copper. Not to mention the silver and lead and zinc that came from these, the Ridge Mule Mountains. By the early uh, 1900s, the Bisbee community was the largest city between St. Louis and San Francisco. And that's saying something. One of the establishments uh, known as the Old Bisbee Bed and Breakfast is located on uh, Tombstone Canyon Road. It's been reported that there's a presence in both the Blue Room and Room 13 while there's several other locations throughout the house. In the grandma room, various guests reported what appeared to be an older woman watching over them during the night. And although the sightings reportedly made guests nervous, it was thought to be a benevolent spirit, offering its presence as a protection from whatever dangers the night might bring. Then we have the, the Copper Queen Hotel. Located at 11 Howell Avenue, it was built in 1902 when Bisbee was still the booming mining camp. It was a tiny mining camp in 1877, but it grew into a solid and wealthy town by 1910. Side Canyon Brewery Gulch uh, held more than 50 saloons in the early 1900s, earning it a reputation as the best drinking and entertaining uh, venue in the territory. Many of the fine commercial buildings and Victorian houses built in the boom years still stand. Many are still lived in. And many of these historic places have lingering spirits from the town's past, occupying the area within those walls. The famous Copper Queen was built by the Copper Queen Mining Company. Later became known as Phelps Dodge, that you might have heard of. It was built shortly after the turn of the century when Bisbee was the largest mining town in the world. The time this historic hotel was constructed, Bisbee was a bustling metropolis with a population of over 20,000, with two opera houses and 
A lot of permanent brick buildings. Hotel plate host to mining executives, traveling men, territorial governors, and many of the flamboyant types of the Old West. Arizona Territory was still a decade from statehood, and Apache raiding parties were still a menace to stagecoach travelers. Keeping with his reputation for first-class service, the Copper Queen Saloon was the gathering place for officials and politicos. Just down the street from the Queen is what became known as Brewery Gulch, named after Mulheim's Brewery. Provided diversion for the miners with a number of bars and a vast number of shady ladies. Soon after busy we became a town, the Copper Queen Hotel came about as a place for dignitaries and weary miners to rest their hats. Not unlike its rowdy neighbor tombstone, Bisbee's character and legends can be traced back to western vigilantes, rowdy saloons, brawling miners, gunfights, and a colorful cast of characters people still talk about to this day. Bisbee made its fortune from copper throughout the 20s and even hung on throughout the 70s when the mines finally shut down. Keeping with its history, there's no doubt among many that I've talked to that the Copper Queen Hotel is also host to an array of ghosts. A number of visitors to this historic hotel talk about a dark, figureless apparition that has been seen wandering the halls of the third floor. It's believed this apparition is the spirit of a young woman who died at the Copper Queen Hotel. She's appeared in both the cafe and in room 318. But that's not enough to whet the appetite of the most intrepid ghost hunter. I've also been told that the unusual occurrences are not just limited to room 318 and the cafe. They can be found throughout the sprawling hotel. Former employees have reported that on occasion the elevator is stopped between floors and staff members who come to help any guests trapped inside the elevator report. They can hear people inside the elevator carrying on conversations, but when the elevator is finally opened... There's no one inside. Room 210, I've been told of guests hearing the sound of somebody stomping around in heavy boots. Toothpaste has also been seen to shoot across the room. I've reported the sounds of a lady singing and the lights have been known to flicker on and off. Now, there are reported incidents throughout the hotel. It appears as if the third floor is the most active part of the hotel. Guests and staff have reported doors opening and closing by themselves, and the electrical appliances operate on their own accord. Cold spots in the rooms and hallways often accompany this activity. Room 303, it's been reported that furniture has been moved, and the odor of cigar smoke is often detected in that room. Though there's, of course, like many hotels, no smoking. Guests in room 304 reported that late night they've heard the sound of the doorknob to the room jiggling as if somebody's trying to get in. Doorknob is also said to lock by itself. Room 308, there have been reports of the door of the bathroom opening and closing by itself. Room 312 has been reported that an apparition is seen who's said to be named Billy. So if you see him, you might uh, ask Billy how he's doing. Room 315 is inhabited by most unusual female ghost. It's believed she's the spirit of Miss Julia Lowell, a prostitute who made the Copper Queen her home for many years. And it's not unusual for Julia to favor those men she likes with her attention. Some have been awakened to hear her whispering in their ear. And she's been seen a very real sense on the staircase. And to a very lucky few, she was appeared as she was in life, performing a very erotic dance in the room.
The nose so favored reached for her, though. She smiles and fades away. Room 412's been reported uh, that the windows open and close by themselves. It's also been reported uh, both guests as well as staff members seeing the apparition of a little boy crying on this particular floor. When they, he's approached, of course, the little boy said to fade away. Then we have the inn at Castle Rock. It said an artesian spring once flowed at the base of the famous Castle Rock. 1877, an army sergeant stopping for water found traces of silver in his hidden alcove, and so began a small silver rush. Unfortunately, the overzealous miners dug into the spring and flooded the mine. The, uh, the spring, which was christened Apache Spring, was capped off and made into the town well. 1895, Joseph Muirhead, Bisbee's first mayor, built a boarding house on this spot for the miners. The building was converted into apartments and then into a bed and breakfast in 1982. The owner of that bed and breakfast was Jim Babcock. It's now thought that he's one of the ghosts that haunts the building. Each of the rooms has a name and, and one called the Tasmania Room. A lot of guests and visitors report experiencing the feelings of being watched. Which uh, I tell you, when you're in a hotel in a strange town, that can be quite disconcerting. Then we have the Oliver House, a historic home that's now inviting uh, an inviting uh, 12-room bed and breakfast located at uh, 26 Soul Street, deep in the historic district. This historic home in Bisbee, the Oliver House, is haunted by several spirits. Edith Oliver built the house for executives of the various mining companies until they all merged into the Dodge Phelps um, Corporation. The house has also served as a boarding house for miners. Keeping with the rough and ready lifestyle of these early residents, it's said that 27 people have died in the house since its construction. It's also the scene of an unsolved murder. Late 1800s, Nathan Anderson, a resident of the rooming house, was found shot between the eyes in the room at the top of the staircase. He was with a woman who was also dead of a gunshot wound. It was rumored that Anderson was actually betting the wife of a local policeman who, when he discovered the affair, stalked him until they caught him in bed together. When he did discover him, the wronged husband shot him both before heading downstairs to kill anyone who happened to be in the parlor. He was then said to have driven to the edge of town and committed suicide. It's also rumored there's another murder committed in the house, but the culprit was never found. In spite of these tragic occurrences and the hauntings that have resulted overall, it said the building is pleasant and somewhat nostalgic. Guests that have stayed in the murder room have heard what they thought were firecrackers exploding in the, in the hallway. Later, they reported hearing the opening and slamming of the doors and heavy footsteps going down the hall. I found out in the morning there's nobody else heard any of the sounds they did, but that previous guests have reported similar occurrences. There's another room called the Grandma Room in which an older lady died of natural causes. It's reported she stays in the residence as a kind of a protector, moves the rocking chair, and prefers to rock in front of the windows. Seen late at night in the room, either in the rocking chair or dusting the room. And if you move the rocking chair from where she likes it, she'll put it back. People saying staying in the Purple Sage Room have witnessed the shutters and the doors opening and closing by themselves. And then the plum room has moving cold spots, and people have the feeling of being watched. Then we have the O.K. Street Jailhouse Inn. Inn was originally built in 1904 as a branch of the Cochise County Jail, located just one block from the famous Brewery Gulch. 
Very convenient for the local officers that had to haul those who misbehaved to jail. But by 1915, a two-story jail was unable to handle all of those who needed a place to sleep it off. To alleviate the overcrowding, a large detention facility was built and the jailhouse was abandoned and empty for a number of years. During the 1950s, Bisbee was often used as a favorite location for the filming of westerns. John Wayne became part owner of the jailhouse, which was used as temporary living quarters. In 1988, the jailhouse was converted into a two-level suite, and it's been a guest house ever since. Guests reported feeling watched as they sit in their rooms, reading or otherwise amusing themselves. A number of photos have shown what seemed to be orbs floating near the, the barred windows as if watching the world from inside their cells. Then we have the Clawson House Inn, which is on, conveniently enough, Clawson Avenue. Clawson House Inn is a three-room uh, bed and breakfast that has long catered to miners. 1890s, there were several labor disputes between the miners and the mine owners, and one of the most violent was between the owners of the Queen Mine and the miners. Unwilling to compromise, the mine owners had large numbers of the dissatisfied miners rounded up and shipped out of the area. Strike breakers brought in to claim the jobs left vacant by the strike. And three of the strike breakers rented rooms at the Clawson House. They said they were killed by the miners and now haunt the house along with the spirit of Ms. Clawson herself. Some folks just don't want to leave the place that they built. Then we have the Bisbee Inn, also known as the Hotel Lamore. History of the, the hotel and predates its actual construction. Acquired from Mexico in 1853 as part of the Gaston Purchase, lots 11 and 12 in Block 1 of the Bisbee Town Site were deeded to the city of Bisbee by the U.S. government in 1904 and bought by J.P. Hill in 1905. Early photographs of this site on Chihuahua Hill show two wooden buildings described in directories of the time as housing rooms and furnished rooms. As Bisbee prospered and grew, the dirt track leading along the lower slope of Chihuahua Hill, originally called the OK Trail, became OK Street. Lots 11 and 12 were sold to Ms. S.P. Bedford, who in 1916 built a substantial 24-room hotel building on the site of the wooden buildings that had been destroyed by fire. Convenient. Ms. Bedford furnished the hotel and leased it to Miss Kate Lamore, October 1, 1917, for $160 a month. 1917, Bisbee Directory lists the Hotel Lamores just up the hill from the depot with rates of $2 per day or $8 per week. The hotel also advertised uh, itself as the most modern in Bisbee. That meant it had probably had indoor plumbing. Bisbee Inn had changed its name back to the Hotel Lamore. Located in Brewery Gulch, it was a favorite haven for the Shady ladies of Bisbee. Everybody has critics. Now it's said to be a favorite haunt of some spirits. Activities not centered around a particular section of the hotel. Beds are torn apart and the outline of an invisible person lying on the beds is visible many times. Chairs and tables are moved around in the hallways. Abigail, one of the spirits, appears as a Foggy tornado between the bed and door of several upstairs rooms. Another ghost is said to be named Michelle, a blonde prostitute who haunts the first floor. Spirits here don't like people. And activity drops when the hotel's busy. Generally, the spirits here do not show themselves to the employees, only the guest. 
Then in 1891, Dr. Alexander John Chandler, the first veterinary surgeon in Arizona, settled on a ranch south of Mesa. He wanted to study irrigation engineering. By 1900, he'd obtained 18,000 acres of land, began drawing up plans for a town site on what was then known as the Chandler Ranch. Townsite office opened May 17, 1912, the same year that Chandler High School was established. By 1913, a town center had become established featuring the luxurious Hotel San Marcos, the first golf resort in the state. Chandler, Arizona has quite a interesting atmosphere. And while Chandler stagnated throughout the Great Depression, the founding of Williams Air Force Base in 1941 led to a small surge of population. But by 1950, Chandler still held only 3,800 people. But by 1980, it had grown to 30,000, and it since paced the uh, Phoenix metropolitan area's high rate of growth and with vast suburban residential areas, swallowing the former agricultural plots. Some of this growth was fueled by the establishment of manufacturing plants for com- communications and computing firms such as Motorola and Intel, but Despite the inclusion of many large businesses, Chandler is often considered a bedroom community for the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. Now, one of the more interesting places in town is the San Marcos Hotel, located at one San Marcos place. It's a beautiful hotel that unfortunately has a darker side. Staff members who've manned the reception desk at night report receiving strange calls from extensions that don't exist. Attempts to trace these calls always end in failure. And both guests and staff reported seeing a female apparition moving through the hotel, and some have even reported hearing the moaning of a male, as if he's in pain. To date, there have been no reports of the male being seen, but he's certainly been heard. Well, from Chandler, let's turn to the town of Douglas, Arizona, in Cochise County. It's named after mining pioneer James Douglas. In the 2000 census, the population was 14,312. Stands on the U.S.-Mexico border, across from the city of Agua Prieta, Sonora. It's also the site of the Phelps Dodge Corporation Douglas Reduction Works until its closure in 1987. Two copper smelters operate at the site. The Calumet and Arizona Company smelter was built in 1902. Copper Queen operated in Douglas from 1904 to 1931 when the Phelps Dodge Corporation purchased the Calumet and Arizona Company and took over their smelter. And the Calumet and Arizona smelter then became the Douglas Reduction Works. On, at 1046G Avenue is the Gadsden Hotel, which opened its doors in 1907. Named for the Gadsden Purchase, the stately five-story, 160-room hotel became a home away from home for cattlemen and ranchers and miners and businessmen in the young Arizona Territory. The hotel was leveled by fire and rebuilt in 1929. It's on the National Historic Register. The Gadsden's spacious main lobby is majestically set with a solid white Italian marble staircase and four soaring marble columns. The authentic Tiffany stained glass mural extends 42 feet across one wall of that massive mezzanine. The impressive oil painting by Audrey Jean Nichols is just below the Tiffany window. Vaulted stained glass skylights run the full length of the lobby. Been reports of a headless figure floating through those halls. 
figure's been seen many times in the basement of the old building. Many believe it's the spirit of Pancho Villa. Oddly enough, it's also said this figure generally appears during Lent. Another figure may well be the same one has been seen floating in the halls. It's said to ride up the marble stairs on a ghostly horse. It's also dressed in khaki military-style clothing. Now that sounds more like Pancho Villa. Hotels restored in 1988 to its former appearance has really seemed to stir up the spirits. You know, ghosts do not like change. They like things to stay as they are. Almost all the staff and many guests have come in contact with one or more of the spirits that seem to call the guests in their home. There's the Indian boy that likes to play on the mezzanine level when it's uh, known to be a who's known to be a real prankster. And then there's the older lady known as Sarah who likes to spend her time on the fourth floor. Many people who've stayed there have stories of encounters of one or more of these ghosts. And let's go to Elfrida, an unincorporated community in Cochise County. At uh, 2491 Jefferson Road is the Vision Quest Learning Center on what was formerly a dude ranch. According to reports, while it was a dude ranch, a stable boy went insane and killed the owners and the guests. And there are reports of a woman in white um, who haunts the old guest quarters. Others say that the house where the owners were killed has had several weird events take place there. According to reports, a woman walks the halls and there's a recurring blood stain on the bathroom wall that they haven't been able to remove. At least not permanently. Inside the old stable, a number of people report having seen a two-year-old child being killed by a horse kicking her. Sounds of a child's crying and the apparition of a child standing in the doorway of the stable are commonly seen. I saw the apparition of a white glowing man on a white glowing horse has been seen in the mountains that bordered the camp. Sounds like it'd be an interesting uh, summer vacation. Then, let's go to Flagstaff, Hotel Monta Vista, 100 North San Francisco Street. Opened in 1927, was the home base of the many actors when westerns were popular and were often filmed near Flagstaff. For that reason, a lot of rooms are named after 1940s-era actors. While enjoying a drink in the cocktail rounds in this hotel, a lot of folks reported sensing the spirit of the bank robber who died of his gunshot wounds in that section of the building. Incidentally, he was enjoying a drink himself at the time he collapsed, celebrating his successful robbery. According to the story, three thieves planned on robbing the nearby bank. They agreed if they were successful, they'd celebrate their success by having a drink in the bar at the Hotel Monte Vista. They were successful. One of the thieves was wounded. He made it as far as the hotel bar where he died enjoying that last drink. And no one seems to know why, but many say that there's the ghost of a former bellboy that haunts room 210, which is also known as the Zane Gray Suite. Interestingly enough, Zane Zane Gray donated half the necessary funds to build the hotel. Balance was raised through public subscriptions. Many reported that he often knocks on the door and announces that room service has arrived. When a startled guest opens the door, the hall is always empty. And an image of a woman has also been seen outside the Zangre room, and sounds of a man coughing continuously all night long have been heard. No one has been found uh, to be responsible for that coughing. A number of guests have experienced some strange things in room 220, as did the maintenance man who returned to the room five minutes after leaving and Locking it up only to find the TV on full blast and the bed linen stripped. 
Room 305, guests have complained of a rocking chair that continues to rock, even though it's empty. Chairs also reported to move to different parts of the room, though each time it's in position to look out the windows. There's been a story told of a lady seeing a man trying to enter room 309. Finally, when his key seemed not to work, he walked through the solid door and vanished. That's one way to not have to use a key. Witness stated that the man looked like the actor Alan Ladd. And room 309, of course, is the Alan Ladd suite. John Wayne also had a suite named after him, room 402. He once told the story of entering the room and seeing a ghost standing near a table. Gary Cooper room, a guest was unnerved by the distinct feeling somebody was staring at him. Turns out that two prostitutes have been murdered in that room. Apparently they're not going to leave till they get paid. Also, stories told about the basement of the hotel. A number of staff members have heard the sounds of a baby crying, though numerous searches have failed to find any sign of anybody in the basement. Then we have the Days Inn, 3601 F. Lockett Road, excuse me, East Lockett Road. From the Days Inn, we have reports guests have awoken from a sound sleep to see the ghost of a tall man standing next to the bed looking down at him. If they react in any way to his presence, it's said he will fade away. No one has yet come up with an idea who this figure might be. Now let's go to Northern Arizona Normal School, which is now the Northern Arizona University. Opened its door September 11, 1899, with 23 students, one professor, and two copies of Webster's International Dictionary bound in sheepskin. The Normal School's first president, Alma Nichols Taylor, later assisted by Ms. Frances Berry, had scoured the countryside in horse and buggy seeking students to fill the classrooms of that single school building. This building's now known as Old Main. From the students they recruited, four women made up the first graduating class of 1901 and got lifetime teaching certificates uh, from the Arizona, uh, for the Arizona Territory. Now, we have North Morton Hall, certainly one of the most notorious haunted locations in Flagstaff. According to legend, a girl curled herself in a dormitory many years ago, shortly before the Christmas break, and it would appear that she never left. There have been reports of lights going on and off, unexplained odors, and even sightings of this lonely ghost looking forlornly out the window. Also been reports she likes to pull blankets off of people who stay on the floor she lived on. And she likes to trap girls in the girls' bathroom. A number of the victims of her pranks report that once they enter the bathroom, and it appears that the door locks behind them. Problem is, there isn't a lock. Then when, a, when Arizona was just a territory, and vigilantes, vigilantes ruled the streets and trails, in road John W. Weatherford. He arrived in Flagstaff. Having a grand vision for that community, he soon began to build what would become known as one of the finest hotels in the West, the Hotel Weatherford. Opening New Year's Day, 1900, this luxurious hotel would attract such visitors as newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst, former President Theodore Roosevelt, the inimitable Zane Gray, and lawman Wyatt Earp. After his luxury hotel was complete, Weatherford built the Majestic Opera House, which opened in 1911. When it burned down in 1915, he wasn't to be deterred and rebuilt his theater, this time calling it the Orpheum which continues to stand and open its doors to the public to this day. 
Early part of the 20th century, watercolor artist Thomas Moran spent a lot of nights at the Weatherford Hotel while he completed his sketches of Western landscape. These works of art were partially responsible for moving Congress to preserve such places as the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone as national parks. Over the years, this historic building served a number of purposes, including Flagstaff's first telephone exchange company, a number of restaurants, a theater, a radio station, and a billiard hall. Today, it's been fully restored and again caters to Flagstaff travelers. Along with its rich history, the Hotel Weatherford is also said to be home to a couple of resident ghosts. The Zangray Ballroom, complete with its stained glass windows and antique Brunswick bar, which were moved from Tombstone, is said to be the site where at least one of Weatherford's ghosts most often makes its appearance. This beautiful ballroom, the ghostly woman has often been seen floating across the room as if she's dancing. On another occasion, she said to dart from one side of the room to the other. Other phenomena in the ballroom include the light over the pool table that seemingly all uh, sways of its own accord and the sound of whispers and voices coming from the otherwise empty bar. Apparently, there the ghost of long-ago bride and groom are also haunt the hotel. According to legend, the honeymoon couple were murdered in room 54 of the hotel back in the 1930s. On at least one occasion, an employee who was staying at the hotel woke in the middle of the night to find a bride and groom sitting on the floor of the, the bed. Uh, excuse me, sitting at the foot of the bed. Today, that room has been turned into a storage closet. But that hadn't stopped the ghostly couple, as guests have often reported seeing the couple enter this room. Staff often report hearing their names being called out by an unseen spirit while on the fourth floor, as well as feeling a presence standing behind them. Now, in Pinal County, Arizona, you've got the town of Florence. Population was 17,054 in 2000. City's the county seat of Pinal County. The largest Arizona state prison complex is located in the city and its preserved Main Street and often uh, open desert scenery was the setting for the major motion picture Murphy's Romance. Now, as I said, the Arizona State Prison is located in Florence. Uh, in fact, prison at cell block three and a death house is said to be uh, haunted by those incarcerated or those that guarded the prisoners. During a riot in 1973, two officers named Buckley and Morley were beaten and stabbed to death in this cell block by inmates. On several occasions, when guards have locked all the doors to the cell block, they'll find doors open in between the inmate court, uh, between inmate counts. Officers have also felt cold spots and heard the sounds of doors opening and closing, as well as seeing misty forms appearing. Uh, that's according to haunted hotspots in Arizona. Cell block is located in the same location as Arizona Death House, which is said to be haunted by the ghost of condemned prisoners. House contains a gas chamber and lethal injection room. Guards are reported hearing screams and other strange sounds. Cell block three is located in the same location as the Arizona Death House, which also houses a gas chamber, as I said. And both of these are said to be very haunted. It says the ghost of condemned prisoners haunt the death house as the several guards reported hearing screams and other strange sounds that have never been explained. Now, another place where I once spent the night is Fort Lechuca. Built around 1877 and 
played an important part, uh, part of the Indian Wars in the 1870s and 80s. Served as the advance headquarters and supply base in the campaign against Geronimo. Later, the 10th Cavalry was headquartered here during General Pershing's 1916 campaign in New Mexico to find Pancho Villa. Though evidence has come to light that, in fact, uh, we paid $250,000 in gold to Pancho Villa to attack uh, Columbus, New Mexico, to give us the opportunity to go into Mexico and test our uh, the modern equipment we planned to use when we went into World War One. I'm told by people who were there that in the evening, Villa would come down from the hills with his senior staff and play cards with Pershing until dawn, when he'd go back up into the hills and Chase would start again. Turns out Pershing and Villa were very good friends. This fort was also home to four regiments of Buffalo soldiers, the African-American Army units of the late 1800s and early 1900s. In 1954, the fort became the site for advanced testing of electronics and communications equipment. Today is the Army Intelligence Center and School and the Army's Information Systems Command. All C-130 flight training for NATO takes place at the fort, as does some training for the Israeli Air Force and Army. But despite all this advanced technology and training, some elements of the fort's past continue to linger on. We know them as hauntings. The Carlton House is the oldest building on the base, originally constructed as the Post Hospital back in 1880 and named for Brigadier General James Carlton, the famous leader of the California Column during the Civil War. Remained a hospital for a few years and then was turned into housing quarters for officers, an officer's mess, post headquarters, a cafe, and then a schoolhouse. Between 1947 and 1951, when the fort was briefly given back to the state of Arizona, Carlton House was Used as a vacation retreat by Governor Sidney Osborne and Dan Garvey. More recent years has been the residence of the hospital commander or other officers assigned to the base. Maybe the most famous of those who've encountered the ghost of the Carlton House has been uh, Colonel Ron Strom, who was deputy commander of the U.S. Army Intelligence Center from 1980 to 82. Even today refers to the house as being haunted prior to, to uh, he and his family Living there, a number of families have reported odd happenings in the house. His wife, uh, Joan Strom, would eventually attach a name to the ghost and call her Charlotte. When the Stroms first moved into the house, the reputation of the place was made quickly evident to them when one of the moving crew became jittery and refused to go into the place. His fellow workers were upset with what seemed to be nothing but laziness, and he said, I'm not going in there. That house is haunted. One downstairs room is the original morgue for the hospital. Things stacked and placed in this room are uncountably scattered uh, over the place shortly afterwards. Things hanging on the wall fall to the floor because the nails holding them were pulled out of the wall by an invisible force. Not knowing about this activity on that same day, the Stroms piled boxes and would have been the hospital's morgue. Later on that night, they discovered the boxes had been pulled open and the contents strewn about the floor. And this wouldn't be the last of it. A few days later, the door began to ring over and over again. Each time Ned checked to see who the visitor was, there wouldn't be anybody there. Colonel Strom guessed it was kids pulling a prank, and the next time it rang, he ran around the side of the house to catch the culprits. Only to find there was no one there. He eventually disconnected the wiring for the bell. Family also experienced lights turning on and off and an erratic, um, erratic electrical problems, wall hangings that moved and refused to stay straight and one particular place in the house was very cold. 
for no reason. In this one corner of the living room, the air was drastically colder than the rest of the house. The overhead light above it refused to work properly. Joan Strom dubbed this area Charlotte's Corner. She believed the ghost was that of a woman from the frontier period who had died in the Fort's Hospital during the early 1880s. While she lived in the house, she searched Fort Records and the cemetery trying to find evidence of her death, but she didn't have any success. Her searching paid off in other ways, though, and she got a glimpse of what she believed was Charlotte's ghost. One morning, she thought she saw her teenage daughter, Amy, walk down an adjacent hallway from the kitchen. Amy never stopped or returned a greeting that Joan called out to her. And thinking this was unusual, she went to Amy's room to check on her. She found Amy was fast asleep. When she checked her other daughter's room, she found that uh, they too were asleep and hadn't been in the hallway. But Joan's sighting is an oddity in the haunted history of this house. Although the place had been reportedly haunted for years, sightings of the ghost are extremely rare. One of the first sightings occurred to a neighbor who came to deliver a message to the uh, Koenig's residence in the house before the Strom family. Boy didn't know the house's front door was actually located on the side, so he went up the front steps and knocked. Later told his parents, Margaret Koenig walked right down the hall toward him and ignored his knocking. Had blonde hair and wore a dressing gown. Bothered by this, the boy's mother later telephoned Miss Koenig, who insisted she and her family had just arrived home and nobody had been in the house at the time the boy knocked on the front door. Nancy Koenig, one of Margaret's daughters, also claimed to see the ghost. Came home late from a date one night and, as promised, uh, went to let her mother know she had made it home all right. When she spotted her mother standing in the hallway, she called out to her and then went to bed. Next morning, Margaret, uh, the mother, scolded the girl for not letting her know she was home, but the girl protested and described a woman she had seen. Strangely enough, Margaret was never in the hallway and had been asleep when Nancy had come in. Many residents and neighbors have seen the whitest apparition of a woman moving through the house and standing in the, at the front door. One corner of her room, which was a ward in the original hospital, stays markedly cold in other parts of the house regardless of the weather and contains a chandelier that seems to refuse to operate at night but functions just fine in the daylight. Among the other manifestations, the daughter's jewelry box mysteriously flew off the fireplace in her room and landed in the middle of the rug, uh, room's rug. After a struggle, one family was able to securely hang pictures in the knotty pine paneling living room, which was the hospital ward for patients. Next morning, found all their pictures on the floor. A solid brass, Asian trivet, it also hung on the wall, was built nearly in half and impossible to bend back into position by hand. Seems someone didn't approve of their taste and decorations and maybe resented the invasion of her space. In the living room, the four chandeliers experienced unexplainable electrical problems. One chandelier that is located over a part of the living room is always colder than the rest of the house, would never work in the evening. Miss Strong made this colder part of the house of the living room Charlotte's official corner. Another resident family later put a rocking chair and a doll in it to maybe comfort the ghost and let her know she has her own space there to rest. Maybe this is the area in the in the then hospital ward where she died giving birth. You know, Charlotte's made appearances to various members of several families, neighbors as well. One boy who'd fallen asleep in a TV room and had to go through the paneled living room past Charlotte's corner in order to get to his bedroom. The one mentioned uh, that area was the old uh, hospital morgue, as I said. As he passed Charlotte's corner, he saw a long dress standing by itself with nobody inside it. 
was an 1880s dress, often worn by young women in Arizona at the time. The light-colored dress was a, a gown with ruffled edges around the sleeves and hemline. A young woman, mistaken for Miss Strom's daughter, is seen walking down the hallway near the kitchen. One of her daughters, thought by her mother, the daughter was sleeping in bed at the time of the sighting. When Miss Strom was carrying her clean towels to the linen closet, a white mist swirled all around her, engulfing her. It wasn't cold, damp, threatening, or frightening, just strange. Neighbor boy ran to the house to deliver a message when nobody was home. And he saw the, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the blonde woman walking down the hallway toward him, but didn't seem to pay any attention to him. Well, in the wee hours of the morning, the, uh, couple that lived in the house uh, was in the kitchen studying for an exam. Door was shut to the dining room. Heard a young voice call out to him from just the other side of the door saying, Daddy, Daddy. There's nobody there. His own children were fast asleep. The, uh, the wife was standing out on the porch in the early morning, around five in the morning. Heard a mechanical sounding voice coming from in the house saying, Sleep, sleep. Never found anybody. For sensitive people, the little cellar room gives the living a sense of dread and uneasiness when you enter it. Mr. T came in to investigate the non-working water heater, but had to leave quickly as he was suddenly awash with dread. Psychics believe somewhere in this room, Charlotte's baby was buried in an unmarked spot. That raises uh, a lot of interesting questions. Then we go to Globe, Arizona, Globe High School. Number of stories told about Globe High School, about uh, creaking floorboards and disembodied voices being heard in the school. Also, a haunted bathroom where one particular toilet would shake violent when anybody tried to use it. And there are also a number of stories of ghosts on the top floor as well. Then we have Nosgrey Hill Inn. It sits on top of a hill outside uh, an overlooking Globe. Built in 1907 is the North Globe Schoolhouse. 1917, the building was enlarged and the name changed to the Nossiger Hill School, named after a Globe businessman. School served the children of Globe in 1981 when it was closed. According to the locals, a lantern light could be seen at night and children were hearing voices and objects such as books were being moved. After the school was closed, the property was bought and reopened as a bed and breakfast. Since that time, guests have reported uh, hearing there was sounds of children laughing and talking and Seen the figure of an older, white-haired man in one of the rooms. When approached, he vanishes. Then the Grand Canyon National Park is also the site of a haunting. The El Tovar Hotel. Although most visitors are never made aware of this, that El Tovar Hotel is home to several ghosts. In the middle of the U-shaped parking lot in front of El Tovar Hotel, there's a marked grave hiding in a patch of land next to the Stop sign. The grave is that of a former Harvey girl who worked for the Fred Harvey Company. Ghost of a black cape figure has been seen walking along the pathway leading up from the steps just to the right of the El Tovar Hotel. All along that path, pausing, passing the grave and disappearing behind the, the Hopi House. Although most visitors are not aware, the El Tovar, built in the early 1900s, is home to more than a few ghosts. 
They said that Fred Harvey himself appears on the third floor during the holidays and invites people to the annual Christmas gathering held in the hotel. Third floor in the kitchen of the haunted hot spots. So if you want to liven up your holiday season, go to the El Tovar Hotel. Then we go to Jerome, Arizona. As you walk down the streets of Jerome, you can almost feel the ghost of the past in the air. In fact, the town is affectionately known as the Ghost City. It has many residents from bygone eras who refuse to leave. Locals call their community center Spook Hall because the ghost of a prostitute's been sighted there a number of times. White misty figure and unidentified phantom has been spotted on the old Episcopal Church. Located halfway up Cleopatra Hill, ghosts abound at the old company clinic, which is now a deserted building just below the par- uh, present hospital. This also includes the spectral reenactment of a terrible influenza epidemic that devastated the town back in 1917 during the period of the Spanish flu. Then we got the Connor Hotel, built by David Connor in 1898. Although this historical hotel was burned down twice, it's been rebuilt each time. The original structure built by David Connor on this location was a one-story building called the Stone Saloon. But as the band grew, he expanded it to the two-story structure that it is today. Some of the spirits encountered at various times include a woman in room one who whispers in the ears of guests as they sleep. And those who hear the whispering ghosts also report feeling an icy, uh, an icy cold at uh, temperature in the room. Artists who stayed in room one kept seeing a lady in red in his dreams, and he painted the large mural found above the bar in the spirit room, which includes a picture of this lady in red. Room two, the dog of one of the desk clerks encountered something that absolutely terrified that dog. It's also reported that the desk chair not stayed pushed beneath the desk. It's always moved close to the window. In room three, guests have reported encountering a slim gray-haired man who's normally seen near the bathroom door. In room five, an electronic item will not function properly. Any electronic item. Satellite television won't function properly, and the laptop, cell phones, and of guests will refuse to function at all. Guests in other nearby rooms also have complained about the dog inside room 5 growling throughout the night, even when that room is empty. People staying at room 5 have experienced both hot and cold spots, having the hair on their arms and necks stand straight up and heard strange noises as well. Entities in general are fascinated with electrical gadgets and can't help but play with them. Room 5 is empty. The alarm clock has been known to go off by itself. Not been set by the living, but a, a ghost apparently getting some chuckles. Do ghosts keep schedules? I'm not sure. Room 9, which has had very few reports of strange occurrences, a guest came out of the bathroom and saw a small man in a dark suit and bowler hat sitting on the bed beside her husband who was lying down at the time. When she called out to her husband to look at their visitor, the little man vanished. Second floor bathroom has also been the scene of spe- several events. Relative to the current owner was using the bathroom facilities in the second floor bathroom when he heard a very soft but clear man's voice calling her, not once but twice. This encouraged a, a hasty retreat downstairs. She thought she was her own on the second floor. Well, except for a friendly male spirit, uh, she probably was. And if he was looking for some amorous adventures, he probably didn't stand a ghost of a chance. Chuckle, chuckle. Spirit photographers, as they photographed the hallways, the stairs, and rooms, felt they were being followed by an unseen entity. 
When they enveloped, uh, when they developed their pictures, they captured the vortex of an invisible entity on the stairs. Other stories have included the spirits of a young girl in the lobby, not of a man who climbs the stairs but never makes it to the top floor. One final story you might find interesting involves a, a couple and their dog that stayed at the hotel. They asked the woman at the front desk if there were ghosts they needed to know about, and she just shrugged and said, uh, if you've got an open mind, you'll have an experience. Well, they experienced sudden drops in temperature, a coffee pot turning off, the dog being scared of something on the wall, and all the batteries and the electronic items being drained to power. In the past, the lady in red has appeared to unexpected people alone in the bar and other parts of the building. She reported to just stand there looking at the person and slowly fade away. In the past, people reported they were touched by an unseen entity in the bar and other places in the building. People reported um, having odd, strange feelings in the bar and other parts of the building. In the first floor shops, there have been several events. Two ghosts, a man and a woman, like to wander through the artesian shops to keep an eye on the living, help out and get some chuckles and attention at the expense of the living. Maybe these two ghosts are the ones who make their home base on the second floor in the Connor Hotel, Jerome. Then also in Jerome is the Grand Hotel. It's housed in a Spanish mission-style building built in 1926. started out as United Verde Hospital, which opened in January 1927. 1930 was written up as the most modern and well-equipped hospital in Arizona and maybe the western states. Closed in 1950 as the mine operations being phased out. Building stood unused for the next 44 years to the rehabilitation plan started in 1994. Probably the best-known ghost in the Jerome Gland Hotel is that of a former maintenance man by the name of Claude Harvey. Mr. Harvey said that he died in April 1935 when his head was pinned underneath the elevator, which he'd been trying to repair. There were no witnesses to this unexplained death and was chalked up as an accident. However, it may well have been murders. The only way that this death could have happened in this fashion is if somebody had bypassed the safety switch. Ghost of Mr. Harvey said to still roam the hotel. Shadowy figure of a man and is often seen loitering about the hallways and orbs of light are often seen inside the elevator shaft. Often the sounds of the elevator moving are heard even though the elevator is parked on the top floor and not in service. One staff member said they've had an encounter with a ghostly cat that likes to jump onto her bed. The same staff member has felt a presence behind her often and on one occasion felt something invisible touch her arm. Apparently the ghost has the hots for her. One night, a desk clerk heard the sounds of somebody moving about the gift shop as well as the sounds of items being dropped on the floor. When she investigated, of course, the shop was empty, but a number of smaller items had been knocked to the floor from some of the shelves. One of the second-floor rooms, a guest saw a woman's face peering through the window from the outside, and the smells of cigarette smoke as well as that of whiskey have also been detected at certain times. Another guest staying in a room on the third floor reported the strong odor of ether in her room, Operating rooms in the old hospital were on the third floor, and ether was used as an anesthetic. Also been reports of guests hearing voices and loud conversations coming from empty rooms, including rooms 31, 33, 39A, and 39B. Been a number of reports of strange things on the fourth floor as well. One guest reported seeing a man's face staring at her from her bathroom with a mirror. Another reported uh, seeing floating lights moving up and down the hallway. Well, disease. Occurrences are not enough. There have 
Also been reports of footsteps moving about the hallways during the night, what sounds like the squeaking of wheels of things being rolled down the halls when the hallways are empty. Doors open and shut by themselves, lights slip on and off, and been a number of reports of guessing figures in medical attire hurrying about the third floor. Also been reports that a woman in white roams the halls and a nurse with a clipboard was seen in one man's room. There's a child that runs through the bar area working for his mother late at night. Guests reported hearing screaming and seeing apparitions on a regular basis. So if you want to have a nice, exciting um, vacation, I highly recommend you check into one of these haunted hotels. You never know what's going to happen. The one here in El Paso, the which was the Camino Real, which I think now the Hotel Paso del Norte, Little girl died in a room on the sixth floor. And one um, one Halloween, the staff decided to set up a uh, little altar in her memory. And they put a very nice, expensive Barbie doll on it. When they came to dismantle the altar on November 2nd, because remember, November 1st is Day of the Dead, the doll was gone. Everybody, of course, accused everybody else of taking the doll. But uh, I got a call from the manager. Because I used to do my ghost tours uh, starting at that hotel. And I did them for 20 years. From 1999 to 2019. And he got off the elevator on the fourth floor. Turned to the right. And there coming down the hall toward him was a a transparent little girl carrying that Barbie doll. Well, some folks just don't want to leave. You ever been to a place you don't want to leave? Well, you just might get your choice, uh, chance. Well, until tomorrow, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. And if you hear knocking on your window in the middle of the night, don't look. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.